0: The EC Podcast exists to equip believers and make disciples for the glory of Jesus Christ. again to the EC podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan Mitchell. This week we are so excited to be playing a special episode for you today. If you've listened over the past couple weeks, you've heard the EC podcast discuss the sovereignty of God. We discussed three specific areas of God's sovereignty, and one of those was God's sovereignty in salvation. So we thought it'd be helpful this week to play a conversation that Pastor Aaron sat down and had on WRJZ's Crosstalk. In this conversation, you will hear Pastor Aaron's perspective of Calvinism and another gentleman's perspective, Richard May, talk about Arminianism. We think this will be helpful as we continue to understand and learn about how God saves, but also so you can hear some of the discussion, the questions, and the answers surrounding this subject. Again, we hope that this is helpful. We pray that this edifies you And we believe that this will be another great time learning and growing in Christ together. Enjoy.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another program. Crosstalk, again, has been changed from noon here on Joy 620 WRJZ, and as Marshall mentioned, FM 102.5 in Knoxville and 99.5 in Sevier County. Uh, So... The program is uh, Crosstalk, I'm John Adams, as he mentioned. Behind the glass is Roz, doing all of the buttons and uh, playing all of the clips. In the studio today is Aaron Case, who is the pastor of Eden Chapel in Seymour, and Richard May, who is with JES Ministries in Sevierville. So the two of you are neighbors. You realize that if you've gotten through that during your introductory period, yeah, that's great. Um, Today's discussion is an interesting one. We try to cover topics that maybe not everybody else covers. This isn't one of them. Everybody has covered this topic <laughs> uh, for, for since uh, the, the 1600s. <laughs> they, they've been uh, debating this issue. Today is not a debate. Today is a discussion uh, taking the scripture, come and let us reason together in mind. Um, Aaron uh, is... Uh, Uh, One who believes in the the Calvinistic or at least I don't know all of Aaron's beliefs, but I'm Calvinistic or or what's called the reformed theology. And Richard is one that would be lined up, I guess, on the Arminian side of of the discussion of whether or not. Well, both believe in predestination, both believe in the election. You can't get away from that. It's in scripture, but there are different ways it's being viewed. And what we're going to do, we're going to start off today's show with Alan Parr. And if you're not familiar with Alan Parr, he is a, an evangelist primarily for the younger set. uh, And he has uh, videos on YouTube. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna start with uh what he sees as the difference between um the the two sides, but before we even get to that, i want to give Aaron and Richard an opportunity to introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about uh how you got to to the point where you are today aaron
2: well sure um thank you John again for having us on and thank you richard um it's been nice getting to know him uh super Super fella, um, yeah. What I've spent the probably first uh, thirty-five years of my life in more of a uh, free will denomination, and uh, I was challenged one day um, by a good friend who who was super kind in the way that he engaged me. He just basically would bring me to the scriptures and kind of challenge me in. I fought with all my might against what what he was bringing, because I felt like a lot of who I was was dying, and I could not stand up to a lot of the charges he was bringing and so i was i would I was not discouraged but i I praise God because of my early background and the elevation of the scriptures that um at least for me that helped me yield to them um no matter how painful it seemed to be at the time. Um, but once, once I embraced what was being said for me from Genesis to Revelation, Scripture opened up as being consistent, and I was able to see God working in redemptive history in a way that I never had before. I had always thought, you know, he'd saved differently, or he had done, uh, you know, there wasn't a consistency, but then when I started to see uh, god 's sovereignty on every page of scripture my my life changed completely and and so um, from then on, uh, I began to see the scriptures that way and teach them that way and Of course, um, at Eden Chapel, the church where I am blessed to be pastor, uh, we have people from from either side, and what we 've tried to do is say, this is the way that we 're going to teach, but i 'm um, not going to kick you out of the kingdom because you don't, you're not my twin. Right. And so, uh,
1: and I've known pastors like uh, that. I actually, I went one in Orlando said, either you believe it the way I do, or you believe you, there's the door. Yeah. And which is yeah, very biblical, right? right.
2: <laughs> well, that's why I'm thankful for today and, and for brother Richard for. So how, how kind he's been as we've been talking, because it's, we do have sharp differences and it, it, it does matter. It's not something that doesn't matter, but at the same time, I'm, I'm certain we both believe we're saved by grace through faith, and it's how we work out the details, where the
1: differences are. Richard, your story.
3: Uh, Street pastor, never any formal education beyond high school, and uh, my experiences have been uh, the way God has revealed his Bible to me through the years, and and, uh, my experience on the street uh, preaching and spreading the gospel, and... It's quite simple that, uh, you know, I'm not so much an either-or as a both-and, that there's room for God to work in each of our lives according to how we respond to that. And so uh, the the dogma of the theologian sometimes can get in the way, and sometimes it can help. It just depends. And so we have to be careful to, uh, you know— say well you're either a Kansas City fan or you're not oh now you're stepping on toes <laughs> <laughs> well i knew that would right wake him up <laughs> really the coffee already had done that <laughs> so there you go it's more of a well you can be a Kansas City fan and i can be a Oakland Raiders fan, and we can uh, agree. Oh, uh, we cannot exist. <laughs> I'm telling you, you could have picked any other team. I know. I know. I know. I know you too well.
1: But but, but you being from California, I guess, yeah, had yeah. to had to come up. With, actually, it's the L.A. Raiders now. They used to be the. No, uh, they're, they're, they're not. Actually, it's they're not they're the not same not
3: even, team. No, they're Las Vegas Raiders That's now. That's right. This is the first year in Las Vegas. They, you thought that Oakland was as low as they could go, but.
1: Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) the city where uh, what you do there stays there is uh, their home now. Well, uh, as I talked about earlier, Alan Parr has uh, these videos on YouTube, and they're very popular. And what I thought we would do is let's start out with him describing what he sees the difference between Arminianism and Calvinism.
4: There are actually two primary schools of thought, and the first is what has been called Calvinism, and this is an ideology that was developed by a French reformer named John Calvin who lived from 1509 to 1564, and his whole premise was man does not have any control over their own salvation. Salvation is a complete act and work of God regardless of what man actually does. And then later on, another theologian came on named Jacobus Arminius, and he had actually lived from 1560 all the way to 1609, and he was on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And his idea was that our salvation, although God provides it for us, it is basically up to us in terms of whether we get saved or not. We have the complete control. It lies in the control of the sinner choosing Christ, not Christ choosing the sin. Okay.
1: So we heard his explanation of uh, both sides. Uh, do you have any take on that Aaron or would, would you agree that's pretty much a good assessment of both sides
2: yeah yeah I think we could be you know really picky and I don't think we have to but I think that's the gist of it yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah I would agree okay very good so what he said the uh, there there is an acronym TULIP that we're going to discuss and we're going to let Alan come in in each one of those and tell us what the T stands for uh for example, and then we'll go to the U, the L, the I, and the P, and he's going to explain both sides of that particular theme. So let's go back to to Alan for the T in TULIP.
4: And so the first letter in TULIP is T, and that stands for total depravity. And so if John Calvin were here today, he would say that we as mankind are completely, totally depraved. Now, what does that mean? It basically means that we are spiritually dead. We are in a state where we are unable to accomplish our own salvation. Salvation is a complete work of God. It has absolutely nothing to do with what we can do because we, in and of ourselves, are helpless to accomplish our own salvation salvation. But then Arminius would come along on the other hand and say, no, nah, not nah, Calvin. I don't believe that you're wrong. Every single sinner has within them the power to save themselves simply by mustering up enough faith to believe in Jesus Christ as their personal savior. They don't have to wait on God to do any sort of work in their life. They just simply make a choice and then they can be
1: saved. Was that last word <laughs> cut off there? Um, so on one side of tulip, is total depravity, and the other one is not. Do we agree on total depravity? Aaron?
2: Well, what, yeah, let me just, I guess I'll explain where, where I would come from and we can figure out our, our common ground or, or vice versa. But, yeah, I, I think the whole discussion kind of hinges and falls on either side as to how you see the fall and how it played out in the garden, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some people will say that men fell uh, and they almost fell upward, like a Pelagian view, right? So man almost has more ability than what Scripture seems to say. Or um, when men fell, we're, we're kind of basically neutral, and then we just shift the gears as to which way we want to go, which is more of a semi-Pelagian kind of point of view. Where I would come from is it would be to agree pretty well with what he said um, in this point is to when men fell, uh, as scripture says we we were dead in our trespasses and sin we don't we don 't need to just make a good decision. we need to be brought to life, we need to be born again mm-hmm. and so um yeah to the way he worded <clears throat> Arminius and what he believed was just kind of troubling, and i don 't even know if it would explain truly what most Christians believe today, although it would be the the primary view is what troubles me is he said you can 't you can't accomplish your own salvation. Well, you know, that that's a trigger word for me. Yeah, of <laughs> course I can't. I, I can't do that. Right. Uh, that's Jesus, his blood alone. No matter mm-hmm. how you believe it's applied or who it's applied for, I don't think any of us would say, I can accomplish that on myself. Correct. So.
1: And let <laughs> me just say, i I think there is... At least in my own experience, my own beliefs, I believe there is room to agree on both sides of, of some of these issues, and and uh, and and I think that would be one.
3: Sure, I mean it. It gets well. I mean, real quick, when he when the speaker that we were listening to portrayed the Armenian view, he said that it was um, <clears throat> entirely upon the man to come to God, and I don't think that's what Armenian actually believed he I think the speaker drew a starker contrast than is in, in reality true because even Arminian Arminius believed that that the response was to grace God's influence the tug that God initiates mm-hmm. so uh, it, it's more a question of if we accept that grace by faith is it our choosing to accept God's calling to us or is that response also from god that acceptance i think that's the fine edge between would you agree Aaron? oh yeah yeah Yeah,
2: that's 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 the hinge at least on this part that's right that's correct yeah
3: not not that it's totally from man that's there that that i don't think arminian believed in that right i I would agree no on the other side of it um one of the things that it's often reminded me of is is that you know two believers are sitting down and you know, they just got back from the Sermon on the Mountain. The one guy says, man, he, he looked totally mad. And the other guy says, oh, I saw God in him. And so it isn't an either or. It's a both and. And perhaps God is big enough to work with a sovereign grace and the ability for a person to freely choose to accept God or not there's no nothing that would preclude the possibility of God being big enough to work both ways.
2: Right. And I, and I would, I would, I would agree to a point to that, just depending on how far we go, I guess, right. you know, um, but, but yeah, I would say from the reform perspective that, um, you know, we do need the infusion of grace. We do need that regeneration. And then when we hear the gospel, we come to life. Yeah. Uh,
1: And I think, and this is where people can, can land on both sides of the issue too, because if you take a scripture like, um, I just had it, had it in mind just a little while ago when, when we were talking,
3: um. Well, while while you're thinking and processing there, I know the, the buffer tube works a little slower. Now yeah. <clears throat> anyway, but the whole issue of total depravity, the idea that uh, a person, once we are in the fallen state of Adam, cannot do anything good, um, can be a stumbling block to some people. There, there, is, there is an older saying uh, that says that you're capable of good, but incapable of not sinning.
1: The scripture was, for all those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. Right. Sure. So, so they... It, it,
3: we, which, we will which, sin.
1: Yes, which will, you know, it, it almost gives a, a, an argument for Arminianism that if, if you call upon the Lord, you shall be saved. But, right. of course, I know there's another point of view on, on that, that particular right. verse, Aaron. Right. Well, yeah. where yeah. did that call come from?
3: Right. Well,
2: y- exactly. And is that, again, going to what Richard said, is that call effectual? You know, is it, is it depending, does it become effectual because I decide so, or is it the infused grace of God in me? So I would say yes and amen. All who come to Jesus will be saved by faith. Uh, We would just say that the finishing part of that would be, would be different.
1: All right, gentlemen, we've gotten a little over on our first segment, so we'll have to make that up (laughs) somewhere else. Uh, You're listening to Crosstalk. We're talking with Aaron Case and also Richard May, and the discussion is Arminianism versus Calvinism. And we will uh, take up the U when we return on Crosstalk.
4: The next letter in the word TULIP is the letter U, which stands for unconditional election. Now, let's break that down. Unconditional election. So the word elect means to choose, and unconditional means that his choice is not conditioned upon anything that you do. So basically, Calvin would say that when God decides to save you and save me, it was not conditioned, if you will, on anything that we've done. It's not conditioned on us being better than someone else or us um, being holier than someone else or us being wise enough to have enough faith to be able to choose God our salvation is not conditioned on anything that we do it is unconditional it was an act of God's will deciding to save you and I apart from anything we have done and anything we could ever do now on the other hand Arminius would come back and say hey I don't believe in this unconditional election stuff I believe in what's called conditional election in other words God does choose to save you but the way he does it is that he he looks down a hundred years, a thousand years, ten thousand years into the future and he is able to see that you are going to be wise enough to first and foremost choose him as your personal savior and then in response to you first choosing God, God then responds and chooses you back. So basically the difference between these two is that Calvin would say that it is God that initiates salvation but then Arminius would say that it is man that initiates his own salvation and then God responds a Accordingly, which basically means that your salvation is conditioned upon what you do first, not what God.
1: Now, if you take that as truth, and I'm not saying any of the three of us it totally agrees with what he says there, um, it begs the question. And this is what is one of the things that uh, has always been a stumbling block for me, or was at one time. If God looks down the portal of time and sees that you're going to choose him, then that means that he chose you, which really begs the question, who's doing the choosing? Who, who starts? Who initiates the salvation? Does God initiate the salvation, or does man initiate the salvation? And your response, Richard, would be? That
3: if I'm a, a wretched and poor sinner starving to death, and I decide to go into a restaurant not knowing what I'm going to do to pay for that meal, and order the meal, and I'm sitting there eating it, and you come along and say, I want to pay for the meal. I have done nothing to merit that, not even to the point if I said, well, that would be great, I accept. Accepting that offer isn't works or merit. It's merely recognizing my woeful condition and the source being the solution to that woeful condition. And I think that who initiates it? Well, God does. I'm merely responding to his presence. And so, uh, again, I think that it portrays the Arminian point of view a little starkly, a little bit more stark than it actually is. Yeah? Uh,
2: Yeah, I would say God is not a respecter of persons. Yeah. So... You know, he doesn't look and say, Wow, John, you know, I've gotta have him on my team. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Aaron or Richard, they you know, we'll, we'll pass them to the side. <laughs> yeah. Um but I would also say that God doesn't look down the quarters of time and learn anything. Either he's all knowing or he's not. Correct. He does excellent point. He doesn't need to see um this person will do this and say, Okay, well I'm gonna engage this way. Yeah that, it's for his own purposes for his own glory well, sure i mean
1: for, the, for that very reason i have always had a stumbling block with that particular point mm-hmm. of view yeah
3: look at the road to damascus yeah i mean he had to slap paul silly to get him to pay attention
2: yeah
3: now that was an exertion of grace way beyond what one would normally think would be the amount needed to get your attention to accept salvation so the the, mm-hmm. the degree to which he had to push paul is an excellent example of the spectrum of grace that's out there. You know, the little tiny whisper of the guy that's walking in the mountains or, you know, blinding you on the road to Damascus.
1: Or even look at Jeremiah. He 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 wasn't an easy one to, to convince, and Moses wasn't an easy one to convince. Uh, sure. But, but, and, and that also brings us to the point where, God has always been in the business of choosing. He chose Abraham. He chose Joshua. He chose Samuel. He chose Mary. Now, because he chooses Mary, are all of the other virgins supposed to be upset because they weren't chosen? He he decides in, in these cases, and, and I, I don't think we'll disagree on this, but
3: he decides who he decides. Sure, and I, I would... I would say that's the one point that even the Arminians would, would accept, that this, this it's, it's unconditionally up to God.
2: Yeah, and I would see, I would, I would agree and say yes and amen. I, I, I keep going back and I think of Romans 3 because it, it goes with the T and the U, but it, it's Paul saying, what, what then, are we Jews any better off? Not at all. For we all have ready charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no one, no not one, no one understands, and no one seeks after God. So if, if no one is seeking after God, we need to be sought after, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, like the coin, like yep. the lost sheep, yep. you know, like the one who's went astray. Jesus comes for us in our lostness, in our, in our depravity. And he's the one who brings us home, and that's when hev- heaven celebrates.
1: And on the T point, too, something I meant mention is uh, Ephesians 2. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Uh, w- we were dead in our sins. We were spiritually dead, and in order to be revived, we can't revive ourselves. We can't choose to Correct. revive ourselves. God revives us in his sovereign will.
3: But see, I think one of the distinctions there is that, as an, as an Arminian would say, I am capable of having compassion for the man on the road, mm-hmm. being the good Samaritan. I might feel the need to go into law enforcement or the military to serve my country. I'm capable of good even if I'm lost in my sins, whereas the, the uh, five-pointers would say that, no, it's total depravity. Even the things that you would do out of compassion or service to your country are sourced from God, not of your own heart. But that has nothing to do with salvation. Well, it has to do with total depravity. Okay.
2: Right. I, I, and I would, I would say the other side of that is um, God is the one who's the definition of good. And I think when we, we have compassion on others, we're simply showing the image of God that we bear. Each of us have that. No matter how much we suppress it, like Romans 1 says, we're suppressing the truth. Mm-hmm. We're, like, we're like a kid in a pool on a beach ball that's inflated, and we're holding it down because we love our sin. And we are, by nature, children of wrath. So we love our sin, and we need to be freed. We need a new nature we need to be born again.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't think there's any, um, any disagreement with that. We're going to uh, take our second break. And what, what are we on? We're on L. Uh, this will be a good one. This, <laughs> this, will, this will take up some time. We'll be back with L in the acronym TULIP when we return to Crosstalk.
4: In the word TULIP is actually the letter L which stands for Limited Atonement and some actually refer to it as Particular Redemption. Now this one can be probably the hardest one to understand so I'm going to try to explain it but this basically says that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he did not die for the sins of the world. No, no, no. He died only for the sins of the elect only for those who God knew ahead of time were going to be saved. And so basically Calvin would say that Jesus' death on the cross has no benefit or has no advantage if you will, for people who were not saved and chosen and elected by God in the first place, because it can only affect those who were chosen by God. But then Arminius would come along on the other side and say, Hey, Calvin, you're wrong. I believe in what's called unlimited atonement, which basically means that I believe that Jesus Christ's death on the cross accomplished salvation for all mankind, not just people who he knew was going to be saved.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Crosstalk. I'm John Adams. And in the studio, Aaron Case. Aaron, is the pastor of Eden Chapel in Seymour, Tennessee, and to my right, Richard May, who is with JES Ministries in Sevierville. And today's discussion is Calvinism versus Arminianism, and we are at the L of the acronym Tulip Limited Atonement. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is this a hard one for
2: you, Aaron? <laughs> well, no, I no not not for me, but in in introduction it is for everyone and it, and at one point it was a terrible terrible thing for me to think of um because it's just counterintuitive to what i've been taught my mm-hmm. entire life um in and, and i think he did an okay job of explaining this one um what uh what i would say briefly or try to say quickly to get the conversation going is what changed it for me is I do understand, uh, you know, the big three, what they say, or the big three verses that seem to support uh, what the man is saying there. But um, what I started to come in contact was verses like Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. I give my life for everyone who ever walked the earth. No, he said, my sheep. And so, you know, when he, when he talked about, when Scripture talks about the Son of Man giving his life as a ransom for many those are two points where I had to reconcile, along with what the rest I saw, kind of what you talk about of the particularity of God in his choosing of Israel, you know, and not the every other ites that are out there. He didn't give them the prophets. He didn't give them the, the miracles, right? And, and so then that kind of led me to dig into thinking, um, was the salvific work on the cross of Jesus Christ effectual? or was it potential is that what scripture teaches did jesus actually secure salvation when he died and rose or did he secure simply a potential that was that was on then the onus was then on the damned sinner you know to mm-hmm. to redeem or to to regenerate themselves and so that's that's where that's where the struggle went and what i would say is The Calvinistic view would be that there is complete unity within the Godhead. Um, I think on one hand you would say, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Richard, but on the Arminian side, we would say God wants to save those he's chosen before the foundation of the world. Jesus, then, if he died for everyone, that's a different group. Then the Holy Spirit he wants to empower the preaching of the word to save others. So that's, that's three different groups. For me, what brought consistency was to say that God chose a group before the foundation of time, not on their merits or anything they could do. Jesus died for them to secure their salvation. And in time, the Holy Spirit convicts and regenerates them and brings them to life. That was the same group.
1: Let me tell you two, two verses which had an impact on me. One was uh, John seventeen nine, where Jesus said, I do not pray for the world, for those you gave me, for they belong to you. And then in Ephesians 5, when Paul wrote about the distinctions between the husband and the wife's husband, love your wife even as Christ loved the church and died for her. Mm-hmm. So I thought those were two that that made a difference for me. However, there's this big glaring John 3:16. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right in from God so loved the world that he gave his life for those, you know, basically for those and for those who call upon him will be saved. Is basically what it says. Richard?
3: Yeah, and and again it depends on if if I'm looking out over the horizon and I see this dark mountainous shape. If I'm looking for a mountain, I'm going to believe that that is the, a mountain. And, but when I get there, it's actually a big iceberg in shadow. And so it's very, uh, how do I say it? It, It's a cautionary tale that we go in <clears throat> to the Bible and explain Scripture from our perspective rather than... Mm-hmm. so we we can we can come up with explanations for things to to support our view where you know if your view is different from that you could come up and use the exact same scripture proof texts to explain it a different way uh, and and that is the danger scripture because Jesus himself said you know i'm i'm going to this temple's going to be rebuilt in 3 days after it's torn down and his perspective was eternal, and theirs was material or physical. And so whether it's if, – if I'm doing a news report and I report on a train where the first responders saved lives and I say many were saved, does that mean all of the people in the train or many of the people? You could say it either way. If they saved all the people in the train – they could say many were saved that day because it was a lot of people. Or you could say a select amount were saved, and it's still many people.
1: But I think if you use Scripture in a wooden way, and it says many, I think he really means He could have easily said all, but he may have not meant all.
3: Not if he's all-knowing. He knows that some will refuse him. So many were saved. right. And I, and, I would,
2: and I would go back. Well, one thing I, want to, I would want to preface just before, because I think we both, uh, it would be a point of uni- Minor. unity for all of us yeah. here. But this is a, a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, If God would have painted a yellow stripe on the backs of the elect, I would go around lifting shirts. But since he didn't, I must preach whosoever will, and whosoever believes, I know he's one of the elect. So at the same time, Mm-hmm. Although we know we are completely um, falling upon the grace of God for our salvations, we preach the gospel universally, yes. not knowing who will come, not knowing who will move, not knowing who will come to life, but we're preaching it for the sake of knowing that God's people are out there, because that's, that's been one charge against Calvinism. And if we look historically, that's where, that's literally some of the greatest evangelists in the world were reformed. Because they, it's not, they didn't sit at home, and this was the caricature I got growing up. They didn't sit at home because God's just going to take care of it. They know God's people are out there, so they walk in power, understanding that when I preach the good news, they're going to hear. God's children will, and they'll come to life. And it reminds me kind of like what you're saying, John, is it goes to John 6, which, which is a very strong uh, passage. Those who are drawn to the Son by the Father will be raised by the Son to eternal life. So no one can come to the Father but through the Son. And if you are drawn, those who are drawn salvifically, and I think that's probably, I'm, I'm moving ahead to irresistible grace, but those who are drawn salvifically will be raised by the Son. So if all are drawn, then we should be universalist, right? But because there is a specific... Specificity, if easy for me to say this morning, uh, whatever it is, specificity. Um,
1: specificity. Yeah,
2: thank you. God bless me. I was sneezing <laughs> me. Um To those who are called, then we know those are the ones who will be raised. And so I think those two, you know, it plays into the limited atonement, and then and also the discussion we're going to get into next.
3: Very good.
1: All right. You know what? We really don't have enough time to get into the next topic, so we're going to take a an early break here, and we're going to end it with the two letters that are left in the acronym of TULIP. That's Irresistible Grace and Perseverance of the Saints. You're listening to Crosstalk. In the studio with me, Aaron Case and Richard May. I'm John Adams, and we'll be back in a moment.
4: And so the next letter in the word TULIP is actually the letter I, which stands for irresistible grace. Now, what in the world does that mean? Basically, what Calvin would say is this. If God has ordained someone to be a Christian, there is no way that you will be able to resist or reject The grace that God wants to pour out on your life. The Holy Spirit is going to do such a work in you. He's going to give you the faith that you need to believe in Jesus Christ. He's going to woo you. He's going to attract you to him so much so that you are not going to be able to reject this grace. You're not going to be able to resist this grace because it's going to be so strong, which basically means that whoever God wants to be saved will be saved regardless of whether they want to be saved or not because his grace is irresistible. Perhaps John Calvin would put it like this. spirit graciously causes the elect sinner to cooperate, to believe, to repent, to come freely and willingly to Christ. God's grace, therefore, is invincible. It never fails to result in the salvation of those to whom it is extended. But then Jacobus Arminius would come back and say, say what? doesn't make any sense. No, a person can reject and resist the Holy Spirit. He says, hey, the Holy Spirit will try to do all that he can to try to bring somebody to salvation. But at the end of the day, if somebody does not want to get saved, then by all means, they can reject, they can resist whatever grace God may want to pour out on their life. Essentially, Arminius would say that the Holy Spirit is basically waiting for the sinner to respond to this grace, which once again, as you're starting to see, is putting all of the responsibility in the hand of the sinner to choose to be saved, and puts basically very little of it in the hands of God, who is sovereign over...
1: That again is Alan Parr. He's an evangelist who's on YouTube, and if you'd like to find out more about him, you can go and just look up his name. So, do we accept... Uh, I well uh, I think that's the definition of i
3: it it, it begs a, a very good question and what is grace because the common uh, knee-jerk reaction definition is unmerited mercy and yet the one thing that attracts me to Calvin's irresistible grace concept is that grace is far more than just this idea of uh, unmerited mercy it's it's God's Incredibly uh powerful influence over all of creation, the sovereign influence over everything and everybody, and to the degree that it is effective, is on a pay grade higher than mine. God that's God's call. And so is it effective irresistible grace, or is it an irresistible force that meets an immovable object?
1: And you would say, Aaron?
3: Yeah. I, <clears throat> I believe God's grace.
2: And I think, I think this is where a distinction that needs to be made. I, I believe God's grace, and, and this is going to sound weird coming from someone who's reformed, but I believe God's grace is resisted all the time in different ways. Amen. But, but I would say at the same time, when God comes for us salvifically, <laughs> that, that is an effectual. That's a whole different game. Yeah. That's an, that's a whole different game. So I think, I think a lot of our lines where we don't agree where we should come from a misunderstanding of just common grace things that sure. you know that God gives us and we mm-hmm. we don't want it just like godly leaders different things like that. How many waves are going to hit the shore? Amen. And then <laughs> and then I think think of what it means to to draw and and he he did the trigger word for me. He said wooing and and that's I remember uh, R C Sproul. You may have heard this too. He was in a debate um, with someone on the other side and. And they had talked about the word meaning wooing, you know, as far as in a well. And he said, I do not go to a well and say, here, water, 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 right? He, he puts the bucket in and draws it. And that's what it's physically, it means dragging, literally the drawing of the spirit. And so I would say, like my brother here said earlier, when you think of Paul, Paul was literally traveling in the heat of the day where psychos travel or crazy dogs, sick dogs, and he is going because he's so passionate about killing Christians. And then Jesus literally knocks him off his horse, gives him eyes to see, who are you, Lord? And he tells you, I am about to show you, you're going to suffer for my sake. And I think of that, I think of Lazarus, although it's not a salvific illustration, Mm -hmm. but you know, we're in the dead. Jesus calls. We don't say, you know what? I don't know if you're worthy. Now, we get up out of that grave because we see the goodness of our Savior and the depth of our depravity and sin.
1: Well, I think a couple of scriptures uh, where the Calvinists or the Reformed theologists would, would draw to are uh, Acts sixteen fourteen. the Lord opened her heart to give heed to what was said by Paul. And also John uh, six sixty five. this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my Father. And uh, those are two pretty strong, strong verses in in that respect. Anything else, Richard, to follow? No, let's keep going here. Okay, and the uh, final one in the word tulip comes again from Alan Parr.
4: And then the last letter in the word tulip is actually letter P, which stands for the perseverance of the saints. And so if John Calvin were here, he would say that if you are a born-again true believer, that you will indeed persevere until the end, and here it is, you will not permanently turn away and fall away from God. The key word here is permanently. You may have seasons where you backslide, you may have seasons where you're rebellious, but at the end of the day, you are gonna some at some point kind of come back around. So you're not gonna ever permanently just decide not to follow God because you will persevere until the end and the idea here is this if God is strong enough to save you that same God is strong enough to preserve you and keep you saved until the end now Arminius would come back and say now hold up John Calvin that doesn't make any sense once again I don't believe in that I believe that if at any point in this journey if this person decides man I'm done with Jesus Christ I don't want to be a, a Christian anymore they have the decision at that point to elect themselves out of their salvation, which means they're going to go to hell, which means they're no longer a Christian. The premise here of Arminius's argument is because you, the sinner, were in complete and total control of your salvation at all times along this journey, then, hey, at the end of the day, you can decide to get rid of your salvation and elect yourself out of it because you were the person that initiated it.
1: So, I think that Alan Parr takes... A little extreme on the yes. yeah. Yeah. Side he, he, of he painted
4: yeah. it a little
3: yeah. darkly there. Yeah, yeah. I and think it, we can all agree there that is. we
1: probably know where he sits on this yes. issue <laughs> as well. Just be, be, yeah. through his definitions. Uh, uh, your thoughts, first of all, Richard.
3: Well, again, uh, the idea that one can either lose his salvation or not is it begs the question: if you cannot lose your salvation, then Someone must know that you're saved. And at some point, if I'm teaching uh, how to repair a car, I've got to have a car and say, okay, now it's fixed. So if if my pastor can tell me I'm saved, it's fixed and that you are assured. But the farthest we can, any of us can go with this is that if you are saved, you will persevere. And that's as far as we can go. So it's it's still hypothetical. So it, it 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 begs the question. Now, the other side of it that I provide is that why can't it be, for my own personal walk, my relationship with God on a daily basis where the Holy Spirit guides me in all things, or at least it tries to. I'm not always that good with it. <laughs> Gives me a relationship with the living God where I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. But my walk should demonstrate the fear, the reverence of that salvation, as if I could lose it. So you think
1: there's an easy out if you just accept eternal salvation you don't have to do anything for it. It's the not
3: only that. It's that easy out of, you know, the pastor that demonstrates the works of the Holy Spirit for 30 years and gifts and signs and then walks away from it. And what do we do with that? And the easy out is, oh, yeah, well, he was never really saved. I got a problem with that. Aaron?
2: Yeah, I, I think this, I think all of us would agree that there are apostates. Scripture warns about that. Mm-hmm. You know, John even says they've went out from us to prove that they were not of us. So for a time, you know, they look good. The wheat and the and the tares. The virgins. Yeah, they they can all look pretty darn good, and they can be twins. But at harvest time, uh, that's when we tell, right? That's, that's when right. When we stand before the judge, all our works are either burn up or they're turned into crowns that no, we present those, to our...
1: Even those who uh, raised the dead in his name and then performed miracles. Lord, Jesus said, well, yeah, I
2: never knew you. The scariest passage should be for everyone. That's right. Because those people were in church. They were at the potlucks, right? They were
3: They were The virgins had the oil. Right. But they ran out. But oh, they like ran you, out. You sound like a
1: Baptist preacher. Well, I've, I, I can never get
3: rid of that part of me, and I'm thankful <laughs> for it. Those roots
1: run deep. I like, yeah, it's, hey, I like fried chicken. But l- let me say, the first yeah. time I went to Aaron's church, they were <laughs> serving breakfast off to the side. And I, well, this is a church I can go yeah, to. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: if they've got biscuits and gravy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think those, I do believe, those who are in Christ will persevere to the end. And I believe that all that are given to the son uh, by the father, he will not lose one of them. Because our father is greater, right? That's what Jesus says, he's greater, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What I have a problem with is trying to say that we can snatch ourselves out of his hand, right? So there has to be a legitimacy of faith. Although um, all we can tell, as Richard was saying, are those those who do persevere to the end. That will be evidence of their faith. Right. And that's why we continue on, not to gain our salvation, but because we have it.
3: That's why it's more important to be worried about the fruit of the Holy Spirit from our perspective than whether a person is saved or not. That's above our pay grade. But what God calls us to do is judge the fruits of the Spirit. And that is our, our, our effort to encourage and to allow people to grow.
1: Let me just say uh, just some of the the, the scriptures that Calvinists would use to support uh, the P part of tulip. Those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. John 10, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of the hand when you referred to earlier Aaron and I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion uh, at the day of Christ Jesus so those are uh, just some of the ones that uh, they would use uh gentlemen we've run out of time this uh, I, I hope this has been beneficial to the listeners i feel it has been it's it's been a good discussion without anybody throwing rocks at each other <laughs> and uh, with with obvious I differences. You, 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 you obvious. almost
3: did when I questioned that Kansas City thing.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> well uh, any true Kansas City fan would. <laughs> so, I just want to uh, thank the two of you. This has been uh, a wonderful discussion, and I appreciate, Aaron, you coming in all the way from Seymour and you, Richard, all the way from Sevierville to be a part of the program today. And uh, once again, thanks very much for coming in. Thank you, John. Thank you. You've been listening to Crosstalk. The theme today, Arminianism versus Calvinism. I'm John Adams, reminding you to fight the good fight.
0: Amen. Again, thank you so much for joining us for this special episode of the EC Podcast. We want to remind you again, if you don't have a church home, we'd love for you to join us here at Eden Chapel at 10.30 on Sunday mornings and 6.30 on Wednesday nights. Let us know if we can be praying about anything for you. And until next time, God bless.